It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. And you know what? It's so funny. It, it brings me back. I'm now 45 years old. I, I'm sitting here re- reminiscing about certain things. And I said, I have a scheduled interview with the next WWE Hall of Famer 2018. And I start thinking about my, my career in pro wrestling. And then we were talking off there. So this is going to be such a fun conversation. So I'm excited to welcome the program WWE Hall of Famer 2018 Hillbilly Jim. Jim, thanks for calling, man. And you know what? I was reminiscing with you right off the bat and you said this is gonna be a fun interview because he knows the business, right? Right, Jim? Well, Neil, thank you, man. That means a lot to me. I'm I'm glad to talk to you. Yeah, we uh you dropped a few names, got my mind, got the wheels turning. Wow. And that's a good thing because, again, all these guys don't understand the business. But we were talking about my breaking in with Cousin Elmer. Uh, I did a show in Ohio, and that's how that connection. And I always remembered you, Jim, before I even got in the pro wrestling business because your character was so iconic. It was one that literally, when you think about only a few people in that generation of the 80s wrestlers, you think of Hulk Hogan, you think of Roddy Roddy Piper, and you always think about Hillbilly Jim. Do you agree with me on that, especially with all the cartoons and different things that were out in that time? Well, you know, I tell you, I've had to think about this these last few days with all the events that's been coming out in my life. And and I, people have asked me kind of like that, and, and I think that I had an immediate connection with the people. Yes. And, uh, and I think they accepted me immediately, and it was never a stretch for me. It was never a hard deal for me to uh, get over because it seems like it pretty much just just took off on its own, and uh, and, and 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 it never really ever did look back. I mean, even to the day, it's, it's like what you said. Jimmy Hart, Mount South Jimmy Hart says this, and I'm I'm going to quote a phrase for him, and I believe he's right about this. He said, "There's something he'll believe about the guys that came up in the '80s during that Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling, first WrestleManias, action figures, toys." Uh, you know, Saturday night's NBC, uh, NBC main event, said somehow or another we got woven into the fabric of America. And I believe that Jimmy is right. You definitely did. And it's something that literally you'll never, ever, ever duplicate. I don't care about talking about the Attitude Era. This era was where fa- family, friends, everyone watched professional wrestling. Think of Saturday night's main event. How many people tuned in to watch that on television? Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and like I tell you something about this, and you can get this. If you start out thinking someday when you get into this ring and you first start on this journey, and this, if you start out thinking someday I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame, you'd never dream nothing like that. You, you know, that would be some, somebody would laugh at anybody that ever said that when they first began. It's just one of those things. A lot of great uh, Things have to come together for you. You have to have a lot of wonderful people in place and have a little bit of luck. And you have to catch, like you just got through saying, you have to catch the people. Because really, it's all about the wrestling fans. Yes. If they don't accept you, I've seen them try to push guys, and you have too. And they just never get over. Some guys don't get over. I don't care how great they look. And, uh, and that, that's another thing with me. The guys used to always talk in the dressing rooms. And you know that from being in the business. All the boys want to talk about who can work in the ring, right? Right. And they'll say, well, this guy can work, and that guy can't work. And I knew all along they had it totally backwards. Because it don't matter what the guys in the dressing room think. It's only what the fans think. Do they accept you? If you do, you get over Again, we're talking to WWE Hall of Famer 2018 Hillbilly Jim on the Neil Haley Show. And you are so right about that. And that's what frustrates me because, again, I was 6'10". I was a, I got over by the with the fans. But then you got the boys in the locker room saying, ah, you know, this guy can't work that well. We should be pushing this guy. But who's getting over? Who's getting the heat? Who's getting this specific stuff? And that's, the I think, what's hurt the business today, Hillbilly, is the fact... 
mouth to, 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 to your mouth it's coming to because I feel the exact same way. And, you know, I've heard that all along. And you know what? The people decide on whether or not you're over or not. You're not wrestling the matches for the boys in the dressing room. And I used to just, you know, I don't get into the political thing. You'll never hear anybody hardly say anything bad about me in the dressing room because I stayed away from all those little quagmires and landmines. But these guys don't get it. And those very guys that say all that, they want to go out there and kill themselves in the ring doing 5,000 things that people don't get. And then they wind up hurt, broke, disgusted, and wonder why their bodies are no good and why they didn't get any accolades. And I want to say, and I want to say you should have took a chapter from the Dusty Rhodes School of Wrestling. You got it. But then yeah. and, and so that's why we're in this phase in professional wrestling where it's gone to more and more wrestling. And again, that didn't sell. What started the whole business off, and I'm gonna take you right back, okay, Hillbilly, before you went to the mm-hmm. WWF, when this all the territories were around, where there was lots of wrestling but not lots of characters. There were some characters, but Vince McMahon saw that the character sells. The person who has this great persona, has this great gimmick, as we all know the word gimmick, uh, Hillbilly. Take us back to where you started and how you got discovered. The great great Chief Joe Strongbow, God bless his soul, he told me, he said, you, 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 you. You forget all that stuff, those people out there. You're a Hillbilly Jim. You know, and that saved me a lot, a lot of, a lot of misery and and and, and uh, agony by getting out there trying to do back back, back jumps and suplexes and all that accomplished wrestling stuff because people want you to be an individual. That's what they gravitate. Gimmicks are what people like. That's what everything in life that gets over is a gimmick, whether it's an iPhone or uh, or anything else that we see in our in our history. Where it's a reality TV show, that's a gimmick. You know that, and he was exactly right. And I learned early on, when you came to one of those early WWF matches, whatever match you saw was completely different right. than the one, the next one. Because nobody did the same moves as the guy before him. They wouldn't get up in there and do the same guy's finishes. And everybody was unique into themselves, their characters. And you've captured on something. And now they think that they're going to win it back again by doing more wrestling. I mean, they put together all these. They put together. They put together all these camps, and they've got these training centers, yes. and they want to do more wrestling, but they're missing the point. You need entertaining. You need to do more entertaining because, by the way, very few of you guys are ever going to be Olympic wrestlers. And the only one that I know that did it was Kurt Angle, and he won a gold medal. And if you watch that Kurt Angle gold medal match, he barely won that. I mean, and he's the greatest of all as far as amateur one. So what I'm saying is, this is professional wrestling. This is to entertain the people, not to go out there and somehow know to charm yourself and think you're an elite mat man wrestler. And I realized these guys that would do that, they would come and go. That's so good. But see, and that's where I'm at in seeing the business today and seeing like a guy my height. Again, I'm 45 and somehow my I'm getting back in shape again and I might make a comeback in the ring. But the fact is I'm not going to kill myself and take 62 bumps at 6 foot 10, 270, 280 pounds. No way. No way I would do that. Yeah. Hey, hey, it, it ain't how much you do. It's what you do. And, I, and you know, you know, the old time they always did the right guys and knew what they were doing. When you think you're going slow and deliberate, slow it down even more. Because here's why. you got to let everybody in the building see what you're doing. If you get in there and go too fast, that's when accidents happen. That's when guys start running together and get hurt. Just slow it down and let everybody in the building see that big punch you're going to throw. Because if you don't come from Alabama and throw it, nobody up to the, up to the top rows is going to see it. <laughs> And, and I've laughed at these guys, and I used to always say this because I've I've done every every I think about every area of this business from from the in ring thing to managing to TV commentary to uh, to, uh, to to special events to home video sales. I did the whole thing. When the matches began, I'd notice they have their elaborate rain music, and everybody come out, and everybody have their gimmicks and characters, on. and then as soon as they would ring the bell, brother the whole thing would turn to gray. In other words, everybody would start doing the same moves. Yeah. Bump, start bumping, bumping, bumping. Yes. Bumping. You know, and, and, and to, you know, really in, in reality, a good bump 
should almost set somebody up for the finish. I mean, how many times, how many times should a pile driver uh, be done to somebody if you did on the street to them? They'd never get exactly. up. Exactly. There's of them and they'll get out, they'll kick out of them. Exactly. They made it harder, and so and so. Let's we're going to go back. I love this commentary again. We're talking to Hillbilly Jim on the Neil Haley Show, and I guess you get excited when you get a wrestler interviewing you. You're like, "This is great." He's understanding exactly what I'm talking about. But the thing is that what's killed the business is the smart marks. The smart marks came out the mark sheets, and now all promoters think they want to impress the smart marks or the critics. Imagine if everyone would try to impress the critics in Hollywood. If all the people would try to impress the there would never be any creativity or things that fans just love. I mean, the biggest well, movies don't yeah, go. That's a great analogy. Well said, my friend. Yeah. Well said, my friend. And, and, and you got it right. I mean, listen, you should go out there and you should entertain the people. Give them your show. Don't let them. Let me ask you something. How many times you go to a concert and see someone like an old timer, so like ZZ Top or Eric Clapton, how many times you get up there and scream out what you want them to play, they're going to play it. <laughs> no. You get up there and start screaming cocaine, Eric Clapton, or start screaming Crossroads, or, or start screaming out one of, his, one of his Eric Clapton songs. He ain't going to do it when you scream it out. So he ain't going to let you dictate what he's going to do because you're there for him to entertain you. And that's what we should be in the ring. When people started doing that, we lost a handle on yes. this. Yes. Because because when you start letting letting the marks tell you what to do, the smart marks, as you put it, then you could climb up on the ceiling and jump into a thunder full of water, and that wouldn't be enough for them. Let me give you a great analogy, and and I love this conversation, but I wish the business could go back to this, but here's a great analogy. If we literally took the movie that won the Academy Award and told people that are watching the best movies that are the hottest movies right now that's selling tickets, people would not see Falling Water if they were paid to. And you're the, and that's what's happening. We're allowing the critics to say, this is what wrestling should be. It should be guys like you and I. He'll be, yeah. Yeah. They want to see... And, and let me ask you something. I'm sure you heard the smart guys say this, and I'm sure you said it before. If you're one of the boys in the ring and you allow that to happen, who's really the mark? The promoter. Yeah. So and you. The boys marks. Yeah. So what? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But you're the mark. You're the mark, and, and instead of instead of letting them dictate what you're going to do, you ought to do like a Harley Race would do with one of them old timers. If somebody, if you if you got a match going with somebody, and somebody started started cheering, booing, booing. It would make Harley Race, or it'd make Don Morocco, or it'd make one of those old guys really mad, and they'd say, "Get me in the headlock and take me over," and we're just gonna lay here for a while. <laughs> Let them just go crazy, screaming, boring. He said, "We're sure I'm boring," and finally, they'll get tired of yelling boring, and then they'll start getting with you as you start making your little comeback, and then that's the way you do it. But that way, you take that power away from them because. They're not in the ring. They can't. They should not ever be able to dictate, my brother, what we do in the ring. And that's a sad, that's a sad commentary. When we when they started doing that, and, and another thing that used to get me, I realized a long time ago, when the fans started cheering for the heels and booing the baby faces, yes. I knew we lost. Yeah, because I wanted to be so hated, hillbilly, when I was a heel. I wanted everyone yeah. to come in here to hate me. I told them off. I, I, the heel does not want nobody cheering for them. Right. And what happened? ECW happened. Uh, so, I, again, I'm not. So, again, Hillbilly Jim will be, again, inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame uh, 2018. And it's going to be interesting because Hillbilly's having, he's shooting from the hip right now. He's shooting right on the, the Neil Haley show. And I love it. But what would you tell Vince right now, in a way, in, in a, I guess, in a uh, professional way, of where the business needs to go, Hillbilly? Because it just seems like well, to you, yeah. In that, in that, in some respects, it's a big thing, and this office and this company is always kind of, you know, they kind of keep their, they kind of keep their feet out there and their toes on, on whatever's going on in the world today, you know, and that's what they're doing now. And I almost feel this way, brother. You know, it's kind of like, what are you going to do when you spill some milk out of a cart? You can't put it back in. It's almost like we've already let the cat out of the bag, and we can't get the cat back in the bag. But I think there needs some, to be some attempts to kind of reel all that in because, uh, as, as, you know, and, and, and what they've done is they've made a great attempt to keep up with the high-tech age. You know that. Yes, yes. 
technology, and uh, and you know, and they made a big attempt to uh, to stay current with social media and all that stuff that everybody does, which I don't participate in. But everybody, else, I understand how people like that. But you just need to make people interested enough to where they get with the person or the people that you're trying to push out there, to where you can weave them into those people's minds, to where they enjoy them. And they want they want to see them like it was that way with me. I mean, I, I I think of like you said earlier. I think of the legions of boys that have come along, and I've known many of them since my actual wrestling days. And they, a lot of them have come and gone, and people have already forgotten them. Yes. You know, because they never. If you don't truly get over, they'll forget you quick. You know, so it's going to be hard. And and I guess to answer your question, there is no one little solution that you could change this and turn this thing back because people now are so caught up in the ways they like to do it. And everybody wants to think they know what's going on with the rest of the business and, and, and we've allowed them to do that. And we've taken away a lot of the mystique from it. So, you know, so I mean, truly, it might just been a golden period that I went through. It might have been one of the last ones that we went through. And, and now I still love to watch some of the shows they do from time to time. They put on good production. But it's just different now, brother. It's just different. It's different. You're always say that, and I completely agree with you. But I think that you're like the characters need to come back, and the work in the ring's fine. But who's getting over? Al Snow brought this up, and again, I know you and Al might not agree on certain things, and it's interesting if you ever go back to my interview shoot interview with Al. Al basically told me, you know, it's basically it's not it's it's not about who wins the match, who gets over. And he said that his goal was to get over. But when he got over, it wasn't his work in the ring. He might say it was, but it was not that. It was the head thing. It was his gimmick. How he got over. Yeah. I know. I know. I've known Al for years, and that's the only thing, in my opinion, that that that, that people remember by him. You know, and 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 I watched Al work because you see. Al is one of those guys that prides himself on being a quote-unquote worker. And I'm thinking, okay, so you could do, you could do all the moves that you, that you need to do in there if you want to do it if it was time, but does it mean anything? I would say to you that most times to the fans, it don't mean nothing. Right. And the only thing he got over is head and the job squad. That gimmick yeah. and that idea. And when Paulie thinks about how he got ECW over, it wasn't the crazy stuff they did. It was the characters. It was Sandman coming out with a beer. They never saw that before. Or seeing a tag team or seeing swearing or seeing the uh, – it was a gimmick. It was not the work. And that's the thing that people forget. It's the brand. It's not what they do. And Hillbilly, that's you. You personified that, and that's what you, you were able to do for so many years getting over in the WWF as Hillbilly Jim. Right? Because, you know, they would not allow guys to go out there and do Hulk Hogan's leg drop. They would not allow guys to go out there and do too many of those things off the top. Say, like Randy Macho Man Savage would drop that elbow off the top. They wouldn't allow those guys just to go out there and do their finishes. Now they do anything. That's just a spot now. It truly is. Oh, my. This is so amazing. So quickly to go back in the story, Hillbilly, as we really had a commentary, is that how did Vince find you? You said you talked about Chief J Strongbow saying, just be Hillbilly Jim. But what territory were you in that Vince finally said, hey, he picked you up? I broke in, I broke in down in the south here for a guy named Daryl Mann. I went out to Calgary, worked for Stu Hart for a little while. Then I came to Memphis, and I did a character called Hillbilly Jim, which you couldn't merchandise. Bruce Swayze took me, out, me down to a WWF show in Nashville. I got to meet Pat Patterson. He popped on me, made me wrestle the first time he saw me. All the boys gave me some clothes, and I got out there and did a show for him. Then they brought me to Connecticut, and uh, that's when uh, they put the gimmick on me. They put the hill with the gym gimmick on me. Wow. Okay. And then from there, it was a tremendous ride. What were you? What was one of your fondest memories? Yeah. Go ahead. Hear me out. I never looked back. You notice, I never changed from babyface to heel and heel. I state hillbillies need to be baby faces, especially if they're, if they're character baby faces and if they get over. And the way that people like me and, and, and it was into my thing, I stayed that way. You notice I never changed to go to other territories? I was not going to do that. Here's the deal. Once you rode in a limousine, you don't want to go back riding on the Greyhound buses. And that's what those other territories were like to me. So I stayed there once I got me a good home. I stayed there until I finished. What was your fondest memory in the WWF? 
legends, a lot, a lot of the guys that, that were legends to me, I got to be around Andre the Giant and people like that. That was a big deal for me. Uh, some of the real real uh, icons of the industry. But two things stick out to me. First time I ever worked and walked in the ring in Madison Square Garden, that was big for an old boy from Kentucky. And that WrestleMania three crowd where we did that before the world record crowd. Because, you know, how many times does anybody get to perform before a live World record crowd in their life, and that that record lasted a long time, and I was honored to be. That wasn't one of my favorite matches, but it was just it's turned out to be one because more people remember it, you know. Absolutely, and when you bring up Hillbilly Jim, and you said 1980s, people remember you, mm-hmm. and you have new fans now. So that's the exciting part about this. Now to reintroduce Listen, I you guys, yeah. I love all you guys, and I got to tell you, brother, if you want to get back in the ring, do your thing. But you're smart. Don't go in there and kill yourself. I was one of those kind of guys. You don't love nothing if it don't love you back. Now, I was not going to spend a lot of time in this business. If I didn't get over, I'd have moved on ahead in my life because I think my head is screwed on different than most people. But luckily, I got over it pretty quick, and I'm happy about this. But I want to say this to you and your listeners. They're going to put me in the Hall of Fame. That's unbelievable. I couldn't think about it, but it's not me going in the Hall of Fame. I've already had an amazing life. I have got all the trappings. I got to live this hillbilly gym all my life, and I got to get to you know, all the wonderful things that this business would bring me and my family. I'm not going in the Hall of Fame. We're going in the Hall of Fame. This is for my family. This is for my dear friends and buddies and people, and mainly, and 100%, it's for all the fans because Hilton Jim has never been one that pushed you back. I never refused an autograph. I never would not take a picture of anybody. The whole Hilton Jim thing is the thing that includes you. It's not a thing that excludes you. So, my friend... All your listeners, we're all going in the Hall of Fame as far as I'm concerned. All right. Well, fantastic. And what, what's what's cur- currently going on with you now, Hillbilly? Give us an update. Yeah, where we're right in. now, I've had a serious XM international radio show I've been doing for 13 years. Oh, really? It's called Hillbilly Jim's Moonshine Matinee. I've been doing that in Outlaw Country. I can't believe I'm, I'm not going to do it 13 years. And I still get around and do a few things. I don't really have to do too much around here. But uh, I've got a new book that just came out last year. Gary West has had me kind of busy on that. And you can go to hillbillygym.com if you want to see about that. But I usually just take it easy. And, you know, like I say to you, I don't live in the past. Unless me and you talk or some of my friends from the old days, I hardly ever even think about the old days. But I love to talk about it when people bring them up because I'm so busy living in the now. I don't believe there's no such thing as the future. I just believe we got now. Because tomorrow never comes. Because when it gets to tomorrow, it's now. So I'm the kind of guy that just wants to get up, brother, and enjoy every day and laugh and smile and tell a joke and move on down the road. All right. Well, okay. We're going to definitely have you on again. I hope I can talk to you again and reach out to you to have an... Feel free anytime you want to, brother. It'd be my pleasure. I enjoyed you. All right. Well, thanks again, Hillbilly Jim. Go to com, And in April... WWE Hall of Famer 2018 Hillbilly Jim. Great talking to you, man, and I really enjoyed the convo, so take care. Hey, take care of yourself, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon, okay? Uh, Trust me, we will. All right, take care. Good talking to you. All right, okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show when we'll be back in just a moment. Excited to welcome the program, Christopher Daniels of Ring of Honor. Christopher, how are you? We We had you on a couple years ago, and I appreciate you coming back on, but you got an exciting project you want to talk about. Yeah, man. Uh, everything is great. Happy New Year, and thanks for having me on the show. Well, absolutely. It's exciting to have you on the program and uh, and to talk about things. And you're not just a pro wrestler, Christopher. You dabble in other things, don't you? Uh, I dabble in a bunch of different things, man. I'm a little bit of a stuntman, a little bit of a renaissance man, but I'm also a comic book writer now. And uh, has that been something you've always wanted to do? Um, well, it's funny, man. I've, uh, the two things that I've always had in my life, the things that I can't remember not having, are professional wrestling and comic books. And so uh, I've always wanted to try and write comic books, but I never was inspired. I never had the good idea sort of hit me until I met Art Baltazar, uh, who draws uh, superpowers for DC Comics, uh, Tiny Titans, Superman Family Adventures, and then uh, for Dark Horse Comics, he drew uh, Itty Bitty Hellboy and Itty Bitty Mask. Um, he started a self-publishing company called Aya Comics with his, his pal Franco, and I met those guys in 2011, and they started a comic book called Aya Comics, 
which features the uh, the heroes Action Cat, Adventure Bug, and uh, Awesome Bear. And uh, once I met those guys and I started reading the, the couple of issues of uh, Oh Yeah Comics, I had the revelation to write a story about me and my tag team partner, Frankie Kazarian, traveling to the Aya Comics universe and meeting up with those guys. So two years ago, I wrote a comic called Christopher Daniels and Kazarian Wrestle Aya Comics. And this month, the sequel to that book, Aya Comics Team Up, comes, uh, number one, comes out and uh, is available all around. That's got to be exciting for you uh, to kind of put a professional wrestling storyline into Ah Yeah Comics, right? With you and Frankie. Yeah, man. I, That's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the original idea for me was to try and get uh, a piece of merchandise at the wrestling shows that I was performing at, um, a piece of merchandise for younger kids. Like, I feel like uh, at pro wrestling shows, you see a lot of T-shirts, you see a lot of DVDs, you see a lot of, like, 8 by 10 but maybe nothing specifically meant for like 10 year old, 12 year old, 14 year old kids. And, um, uh, Art Baltazar and Franco are basically the Pixar comic, uh, the Pixar of, of all ages comics. These guys have won Eisner awards, which is the highest honor in, uh, in, in comic books. And, um, they're, they're well known for their stuff for an all ages audience. And so I wanted to write something that I thought would appeal to younger kids and be something that they could get involved with, something that they could sort of uh, be drawn to at a pro wrestling show. That that's tremendous. Uh, it just seems so. It so it seems so interesting, Christopher, when you talk about something like this, because then you're right. Sometimes we're forgetting about the kids who really built this business in the '80s to the point where it is today, and that we forget about merchandise for kids, and we forget about that it's not just adults and young adults going to pro wrestling events, all ages. Absolutely, man. And I think that's one of the things that Ring of Honor has always tried to keep an eye on. Uh, the fact that it's a family show, we try to remember that, you know, it, like you said, it's not all 18 to 34 year olds, although that's a prime demographic for pro wrestling. Um, we get a lot of kids at our shows and we try to be very cognizant of that, of that fact. And uh, that was one of the reasons why the book, uh, why I had the idea to write the book in the first place. But I, I will say that um, ever since the first book came out and we brought that to Ring of Honor, we had uh, a great response from fans of all ages. Uh, the kids enjoyed the book, but also um, the wrestling fans who may not have known, even though I've been very vocal about my love of comic books and my partner Frankie is the same way, um, they may not realize that uh, I'm – such a fan that I became a, a writer, and um, and so we're there at shows, at Ring of Honor events, uh, selling comic books, signing the comic books, and um, just getting big, great feedback from everybody about it. And the challenge of being a writer now, Christopher, you talked about a stuntman for wrestling. Tell us about that process of looking at, you know, once the certain comics together, writing it and stuff. How much of a challenge is that? For me, it's it's extremely difficult, man. I, I look at guys in the comics industry like, you know, like Brian Michael Bendis, who writes uh, Spider-Man and is one of the most prolific writers at Marvel Comics. He's got anywhere from like four to six comic books out a month. I look at those guys like that, and I'm astounded. Um, if you put a gun in my head right now and said, we need 22 pages of a Christopher Daniels comic book by the end of the month, I, I don't know what I'd do. But I was just fortunate enough to be sort of inspired by the story for the first comic book and the story for the book that's coming out this month. And I was just lucky enough that when I wrote it and sent it to Art and Franco for perusal, they enjoyed it. They thought it was good. They thought it fit their sensibilities in terms of what they would put out for all yeah comics. And um, so, I mean, it, it's very difficult. Um, I would love to be more prolific with my writing. Um, I think I've got some ideas that I'd love to put pen to paper for. Uh, it's just, it's, it's very difficult. And, um, you know, for someone who uh, I, I've sort of made my career using my fist and my body, 
to sort of tell my stories, um, it's sort of hard sometimes to sort of figure out the best way to do that without doing it yourself, like uh, in front of people, you know. Absolutely, and and that, that's that's the, th- the the process of how much it takes to write things down, and you're revising, writing, revising, needs to go to the editing room, all of that process, Christopher. It's it's not the easiest thing in the world for sure, and you enjoy it. And I could see when you retire from wrestling that you'll continue to write for sure. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely an avenue I want to pursue. Um, you know, and hopefully. I'll continue to have a great relationship with Art and Franco. Um, I, like I said, I've got ideas that I want to pursue in terms of that. I've also got uh, a lot of friends at Marvel Comics, and uh, I've talked to them about ideas that I've got. But, um, yeah, like you said, man, it's very difficult, and that that process of writing and revising and, and getting it just right, it's very difficult. So I, I tip my hat to the guys uh, – who do this for a living, the guys that put out monthly comic books, uh, it's very difficult. And, um, you know, hopefully one day I can get to be uh, a tenth as good as those guys. What do you think about, like, you're creating, is, are your characters, Frankie and you, about the same that you are in the ring in these comic books, or are you a little bit more larger than life in the comic books? No, man, uh, I, Frankie and I always say we stopped being human beings about 15 years ago, and we've been comic book characters ever since. Um, you know, and that's one of the things I've always said about pro wrestlers, the closer you're going to come to real-life superheroes are in the pro wrestling ring. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the comic book version of me is me. Um, he's actually driving a car right now, and that's, that's his adventure for the day. Um, but, yeah, man, I, it, it really is just us. And I think that's one of the reasons why this particular book is easier for me to write than, say, a Wolverine story or a Batman story, because it's me and it's Frankie. And so it's easy for me to put words in my mouth, in Frankie's mouth as characters. Um, you know, so I, you know, Frankie and I have traveled the, the world together uh, for the past decade almost. And so it's easy for me to... to envision scenarios where he and I are, 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 are traveling around and doing stuff. Yeah, it sounds like for sure, Christopher, the traveling the world together and the excitement, but then when you will open up that comic book and you see, holy cow, it's me, larger-than-life comic, it's got to be cool, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, man. And I was, the first time I physically held a comic book that I wrote in my hand, it was just, it's one of those uh, moments in your life that no one will ever be able to take away from you. Um, it's sort of like the, the way I felt the first time I had an action figure of myself. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, you never think about that as a kid. One day you're going to grow up and have an action figure. One day you're going to grow up and have a, a comic book that you wrote, produced and, and available. And, and, and that's... Uh, I'm, I'm coming close to the, the point where the next book is coming out and to know that this book is, is it started in my brain and now is out and available for people. That's a, that's a really good feeling. And I, and I, I thank Art and, Art and Franco every day for the opportunity to be able to say, yeah, I wrote this. What's new with you in pro wrestling with Ring of Honor? Give us an update, Christopher, for our listeners out there. Since last time we chatted about All right. a couple years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, as everyone knows, or as everybody who follows Ring of Honor may know, uh, Frankie Cesare and I, we recently lost the uh, Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships to the Young Bucks in one of the most brutal matches ever, Ladder War 6. Um, and since then, we've been sort of, uh, I guess, sort of searching for a direction. Um, we didn't get a chance to get a, a rematch. Um, but we're still hoping for that. But at this point right now, I am going to the finals of a tournament called the Decade of Excellence, which was a tournament made up of men that debuted in Ring of Honor over a decade ago. And uh, the finals will be taking place January 14th in Atlanta. And I'll be wrestling either Jay Lethal or Jay Briscoe. They still have to wrestle their semifinals match. And the winner of the tournament gets an opportunity to wrestle the Ring of Honor world champion, 
at the 15th anniversary show in Las Vegas on March 10th. And uh, wow. recently, Adam Cole, Adam Cole became the first uh, three-time Ring of Honor world champion by defeating Kyle O'Reilly in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom 11. So uh, history made in Japan for Ring of Honor. And uh, hopefully history will be made in Vegas. Hopefully it will be me wrestling Adam Cole and uh, finally getting the world championship that uh, I've been fighting for for 15 years. Well, I'm rooting for you guys at Ring of Honor. And, and I was, again, talking to Adam a month ago, and I, I'm excited that he, won, again, won the, the title. But I love the fact that you're bringing wrestling back. And that's what Ring of Honor is doing, bringing back wrestling. You don't bring up sports entertainment. It's pro wrestling. And that's what we need to keep this business going forever is pro wrestling. And I commend all you guys for what you're able to do in the ring and to bring back the business the way it needs to be. So that's all I have to say. Well, well thank you, man. I, I'm, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that are fans of what you call, like you said, sports entertainment. But I grew up watching pro wrestling as well. Um, I grew up in North Carolina. I got a chance to watch Ric Flair and Roddy Piper and Dusty Rhodes in the Mid-Atlantic territories. And um, and I feel like that's what Ring of Honor sort of harkens back to, the, the time when uh, the, the, the premium was placed on what happened between the ropes from bell to bell. And that's what Ring of Honor has, has, has always been proud of doing, is showcasing what we call the best wrestling on the planet. And so, um, you know, you get guys like Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and, and Bobby Fish and Cole Cabana, Jay Lethal, Jay Briscoe, like, these guys are the best wrestlers in the world. And I'm, I'm honored to be able to step in the ring and still, you know, go toe-to-toe with these guys and still hang with them, even after almost 24 years in this business. Well, that's great, Christopher. I appreciate you coming on. Best place we can find information on you. Purchase the comic books, your book, and also learn more about you. Where can we go? Well, you can go, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Daniels. Um, as far as Ring of Honor Wrestling, you can go to ROHWrestling.com, get a schedule, find a place to watch it. Um, you can also go to the Fight TV app to watch our television show on Monday nights. Uh, that's F-I-T-E-TV. Um, as far as the comic book goes, it'll be available soon at AllYeahComics.com. And uh, we'll also have autograph copies uh, available at ROHWrestling.com. And... Um, that's pretty much everything, man. I'm not a big Facebook guy, so follow me on Twitter, and I keep people informed about my schedule and where I'll be wrestling. And uh, in a couple months, uh, it'll be the uh, the Twitter of the Ring of Honor World Champion if everything goes my way. Hey, I'll be rooting for you. Good talking to you, Christopher. Thanks for taking the time, and best of luck. My pleasure, man. Thanks very much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show's celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, WWE Hall of Famer, Stone Cold Steve Austin. How are you, Stone Cold, and thanks for calling, man. Hey, man, I'm doing good. Thanks for helping me spread the word about the show. I appreciate it. Man, yes, straight up with straight up Steve Austin on the USA Network, but we have three connections, very strange situations. One connection is I'm a former professional wrestler, wrestled in the minor leagues, worked for uh, Burt Prentice and uh, Jerry the King Lawler down south, and I worked with you once. Omaha, Nebraska, I did TV, uh, did a job match in WWE, teamed up uh, with Derek Stone, and we wrestled uh, the Nation of Domination out in, in Omaha. And also, another connection is that Duke Drosy, I manage his social media. So it's pretty kind of cool, those types of connections. Duke said hi. Exactly, man. I that you say that. And, uh, man, uh, how about working with the Nation of Domination back in the day? That that must have been intimidating. And going back to Duke, the Dumpster Grossi, we recently connected about a year ago, and we used to travel together back in our days and, and back at when it was a WWF. So, man, a lot of common ground there. Last thing is we're both talk show hosts. You, you, ha- you have a podcast. I have a radio show slash podcast now moving into the TV venture. So those are the three connections we have, uh, Steve, for sure. What is, how difficult is a challenge is it to transition, Steve, from pro wrestling to the entertainment world after? What are, what are the similarities and what are the... Man, 
and I tell you what, I always tell people that being inside a 20 by 20 squared circle doesn't teach you about anything other than how to connect and identify with, you know, a crowd that, you know, you're working that building and you're working off response, you know, based on what you do, everything you do in a ring, you do to elicit a response based yeah. on that response. You proceed accordingly and you're listening to that crowd. So anyway, all these years later, you know, I started podcasting and talking to people and I got a chance to kind of break down the doors or uh, I guess everybody thought of Stone Cold Steve Austin that I was always pissed off, mad, or drunk every day of my life, and that's not quite true. I, you know, I do know when it's 5 o'clock, but I love to laugh and have a good time, and I love to communicate with people. And as much as I can be a hermit and go into just complete, you know, solitude mode, I love talking with people one-on-one and finding out what makes them tick, what drives them to success, what they're interested in. And, you know, this show is kind of unlike any other uh, my guests and myself are out there hanging out, doing outdoor activities, bonding over that activity. Maybe we're cooking food, but we're having a conversation and uh, getting to know each other and trading stories. So it's it's not just about me interviewing them per se. It's back and forth conversation exactly. and sharing stories. At the end of the day, we're trying to entertain people in a half-hour show, and I, I think we've done that because I, I had a blast making the show. I hope it comes across on screen. You know, Steve, you do a phenomenal job with your podcast because you really you're not trying to put yourself over. You really ask really good questions. And it's just a straight conversation when you were doing your podcast, for sure. Well, man, I'm trying to. You know, I've been doing it for six years and I recently got a chance to go down there and talk to Hulk Hogan. And I got a chance to go down to Austin, Texas and talk to Mark Henry. And those are probably two of the, my favorite podcasts that I've done in a long time. And I took a little bit of a break. And when I, when I took that break, I, th- I think I realized that, I, you know, I needed to even listen more than I have been listening. And, and I think taking time off helped me. But, you know, the podcast has been uh, a very successful endeavor for me. And it's allowed me to, you know, maintain communication with the fan base that I generated through all those years of being uh, inside the squared circle. When you leave WWE uh, and go off to do something else, you lose, you lose that global platform or the ability to communicate with your audience. So even though the podcast is very minute in comparison with the WWE universe, it allows me to stay in touch with my fan base. And now with Straight Up Steve Austin on the USA Network, every Monday after Raw, well, at least for the next seven That's weeks, great time to stay, yeah. to stay connected with them, I'm getting handed the audience that I came from, the, the audience that I love, and I, at the same time, I'm trying to grow a new audience. So the task at hand is trying to get better and to uh, you know facilitate this and make my guests feel at home. But I, I learned a lot, and I'm, I've got a lot more to learn but I had a damn good time. And you know what, Steve, what I've noticed with you and with you, your interviews, again, is that you want to make a connection with people. And those are the best talk shows in America. The best in the world are always the ones that try to make a connection with their guests. I've tried to. You know, I've been doing it for six years, and I recently got a chance to go down there and talk to Hulk Hogan. And I got a chance to go down to Austin, Texas, and talk to Mark Henry. And those are probably two of the, my favorite podcasts that I've done in a long time. And I took a little bit of a break. And when I, when I took that break, I, th- I think I realized that I, you know, I needed to even listen more than I have been listening. And, and I think taking time off helped me. But you know, the podcast has been uh, a very successful endeavor for me. And it's allowed me to you know, maintain communication with the fan base that I generated through all those years of being uh, inside the squared circle. When you leave WWE and go off to do something else, you lose, you lose that global platform or the ability to communicate with your audience. So even though the podcast is very minute in comparison with the WWE universe, it allows me to stay in touch with my fan base. And now with Straight Up Steve Austin on the USA Network, every Monday after Raw, well, at least for the next seven That's weeks, great time to stay yeah. To stay connected with them, I'm getting handed the audience that I came from, the, the audience that I love, and I, at the same time, I'm trying to grow a new audience. So the task at hand is trying to get better and to uh, you know facilitate this and make my guests feel at home. But I, I learned a lot, and I'm, I've got a lot more to learn, 
but I had a damn good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you have to because you, you, you want people to open up. and But also, you know, when someone agrees to come on a podcast or to come on a show, well, then they're, 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 they're engaging. And, and so, you know, you want them to be there. You want them to be present. You want them to open up. And I'm not trying to ask things that they don't want to talk about. I just want to share stories and have a good time. And at the end of the day, you know, whether it's my podcast or Straight Up Steve Austin or, or anything I do, I cannot I cannot solve the problems of the world because I'm just an entertainer. But if right. I can make you laugh or forget about something for a half hour or an hour and a half podcast and you enjoyed the conversation, then I've done my job and I'm happy with myself. And that's the truth. Let people lay back and enjoy the conversation and learn something they never learned about that person, for sure. So again, Steve, it's going to be on after Monday Night Raw tonight. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley's Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And uh, celebration, 10 years, and I'm going to be tired. This is crazy. I've done two live marathon days in the matter of two or three weeks. I need a break, a break coming into the holidays. We just... It just... Neil, how you doing? Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. It isn't easy to, to do 10 years of anything, 10 years of marriage, 10 years of business. And look at you. Go on. Exactly. Exciting. About 12,000 shows. That's what uh, interviews. And we have a great guest, but I love this guy. I love him because I think we're brothers, even though we never met in the pro wrestling industry. And a lot of guys, we would have crossed path, past, and it just didn't happen. We ended up even wrestling for the same organization in Germany. And I just met him online. We started holding a conversation and I have been there to help promote him on certain platforms, running his, helping him with Twitter, Instagram, and his Facebook fan page because he's a very busy guy. So introduce our guest. And I believe he has really a great writer as well. So Dave, you got to push him to write a book at one point in time because the <laughs> story's beyond belief. Go ahead and introduce our guest. Absolutely. You know, people wonder where are the wrestlers, right? And and we have Duke the Dumpster, and he's he was really big, and now he's doing all sorts of stuff, uh, special needs. So I, I'm excited to have him on. I mean, he's got so much going on. I want him to introduce himself. Duke, welcome to the show. Tell us what the heck you've been doing for the last uh, few years since you've been out of wrestling. Uh, the last few years, I am actually working in the drug courts or recovery court program here in the county that I live in, in Middle Tennessee, uh, you know, working with individuals who are facing jail or prison time with an underlying substance abuse problem and perhaps mental health issues. And, you know, we take them out of jail and we put them through a very strict supervision program that's coupled with uh you know recovery skills and treatment classes and counseling as well that's amazing and that's wonderful and that's that's so needed in today's society because that's you know homelessness these shootings it's all stemming from uh mental illness and and not knowing what a person's got to do and many of them are on drugs and you're going right for the core you're going right for the juggler vein good kudos to you yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's something that's a bit different. There's really not much in terms of programming offered in the jail setting or even in the prison setting uh, that tends to work. Uh, this program kind of eases them back into living in society. Like I said at the beginning, it's very strict. And as they work their way through the program, it's a year and a half program. Uh, each Each phase they work through, they earn a little bit more freedom as they, you know, get back into living their lives as normally as possible. And uh, we also teach them to live life without, you know, using drugs and alcohol and things of that nature. Wow. And so let's start, Dave, the story, because honestly, get to him in wrestling first, because why, what led Duke to where he is, or Mike is, Mike, but again, Duke, everyone calls Duke the dumpster. Yeah. Percy, he went through 
a transformation because of a story. He never thought he would be where he is today. And yet he's happy because he feels. And so go ahead and ask that first question, Dave. Yeah, well, it all started in wrestling. So how did you go from being, you know, Duke to this amazing wrestler? Well, I mean, I grew up watching wrestling. I loved it. Uh, I grew up in South Florida, you know, the old days of championship wrestling from Florida with Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, you know, Barry Windham, Lex Luger. And I was a big fan growing up. So I knew early on, well, probably about high school, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a professional wrestler. And I still went to college and did all the things you should do to have a fallback plan. But my focus all along was becoming a professional wrestler. So I uh, one day kind of hatched a scheme when I found out that actually Vince McMahon, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, was at a convention in my hometown in Miami, actually in Miami Beach. And I just put on a suit and got some credentials from a TV executive that I was friends with. And I just kind of crashed the convention. I just walked in there like I was an executive and walked right up to Vince McMahon and told him I wanted a job, handed him a videotape and walked back out of there. And they called me a week later and brought me up for a tryout. And then I was working for the World Wrestling Federation in about 1994. That's what it takes sometimes, just not giving up, not taking no for an answer, being bold, being courageous, and you did it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you, you know, in a lot of ways I would say, you know, I realized the dream and I became a professional wrestler at the highest level. Um, but, you know, it also came with a lot of drawbacks and uh, a lot of other issues. Uh, you take a beating. I tell people that professional wrestling, that business, it's like being in a moderate car accident on a nightly basis. People don't realize, even though it's predetermined, you take a beating and, uh, you know, you start, get, your body gets worn out and sometimes people make poor decisions like trying to self-medicate, you know, start taking pain medication and things of that nature or drinking a lot of alcohol to make it through the pain issues. And unfortunately, while I was in the WWF, that is something I did. And it started to negatively affect my wrestling career. And that was basically the beginning of the end. Yeah, yeah so, so, much, so much for the people who say that wrestling is fake, huh? Oh, no, don't, you don't do that. Dave, <laughs> Mike and I are going to have to come get you. That's for sure. And as a former professional wrestler, uh, I just, you know, see this, the business, you were surprised so much. You thought once you got that contract, your life was set, right? Mm. Champagne and caviar dreams growing up watching wrestling. And then you thought once I'm in the big time, my life is going to be perfect, right? That's exactly what I thought. I thought I was going to be rich and famous right away. And uh, it didn't exactly work out that way. It was a much tougher business and industry to kind of navigate your way through. Uh, and at times I did not do it correctly. It was very difficult and it was very hard on the body um, both. So, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be coming out of the gate. It was a bit of a rude awakening in the beginning. So what would you say? Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Dave. Go. Uh, what would you say is your greatest moment in the WWE? My greatest moment in the WWE? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, just going out on live television, you know, there's several answers to that question, but I will say, you know, pay-per-views and stuff like that, but the very first time, I went out on Monday Night Raw on live TV, so no mistakes, and did an angle with Jerry the King Lawler. And, uh, I mean, I was both excited and scared to death and so many other things at the same time, but it was live television. And I just remember right before I walked out the curtains, I said, put up or shut up, brother. It's time to go. <laughs> and, I, and that's what happened. We went out in the... We set up a great angle, and uh, that was probably one of the most important moments uh, when I realized, okay, I can probably do this. So, wow, yeah, and see, that's the thing that I felt uh, at times when you're in front of that crowd, and that becomes addicting, doesn't it? Uh, you become that persona in so many ways, and I think professional wrestlers that 
finally reflect in their careers and look back, what truly is the addicting fact, and we talk, we're going to talk about addiction in this interview, is that you're addicted to the fans. You're addicted to the crowd. It's like you feel like there's nothing better than that, that feeling, right? That is exactly the way it is. It is an addiction, and people don't realize, um, you know, walking out in front of a huge crowd of people that are either cheering or or booing you, whatever the case may be, the fact is you can walk out and have control over such a huge crowd of people on a nightly basis. And if, you know, if they're fans and they love you and they cheer you and people want your autograph all the time and it's just that lifestyle where you're constantly being held up on this pedestal and people don't realize sometimes when it comes to an end abruptly, people are not prepared for that. Walking out those curtains on a nightly basis is like a drug rush. And when all of a sudden it's gone, it's overnight, it can be quite a difficult transition for people to make. That's why a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol to cope because they can't find that feeling anywhere else because they're no longer in the industry. Is that how you became addicted to drugs and alcohol? Just doing that? Well, well, I would definitely say that was a huge part of it, but it started really with just the bumps and the bruises and taking a beating, you know, the physical beating your body takes. And that's where I got used to taking them. But then, you know, at least when you're in the World Wrestling Federation, even at that time, you know, they've got you on a pretty strict schedule of having to make towns and do shows and make appearances. But when it was all over and basically there was nobody looking over my shoulder anymore, the drug and alcohol use really got bad. Mm. And that's, yeah. And so that's the thing is the pain. Explain to people the ring in the WWF slash WWE is a lot harder ring than some of these indie rings that are like cushions, right? And I mean, I remember when I did TV, Shotgun Saturday night and wrestled Savio Vega and Crush, and I took a bump. I couldn't believe how hard of it. It's almost, and the ring is almost as hard as 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 Germany, where it felt like I was bumping on concrete. Night yeah. out taking those bumps. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah, they think that that they think that the ring is like a trampoline. And the ropes are like just hitting rubber bands and bouncing all around and having a great time. And that is not the case. Uh, that ring, back in those days, that wrestling ring was very hard. And in fact, I, at times I had this move where I would jump up in the air and spin around and drop an elbow on my opponent. But my upper back took the brunt of that blow against the mat. And the thing was, in those rings at that time, the further away you got from the center of the ring, the harder the ring was. And I actually, without knowing it, fractured a vertebrae <laughs> by dropping this elbow on people on a nightly basis and found out probably 11 years later that I had fractured a vertebrae in my you know, thoracic vertebrae. And uh, it was a very heavy ring and i always laugh at people that say oh yeah wrestling snake or whatever and i invite them to just get in a ring and try hitting the rope <laughs> just hit the rope the one bruises time. you get the bruises you get even if you've not been you, you wrestle for so many years and you take time off like you made your little your comeback you ran those ropes and you're like they hurt as much given your first time because you oh yeah. back up you're tough and you have to bruises you walk over you come back and say what did you do today training well my back's hurting <laughs> oh my gosh it's it's no one thinks about this and i feel bad for these young guys today mike they take too many dumps they take too many bumps i they're not they're going to be so screwed up and they're going to be shot 20 years before us in a way because they just it's ridiculous what their bumps are taking <clears throat> Yeah, and they're doing more and more of that stuff outside the ring where they're landing on rails or, or they're landing on concrete floors, and that stuff really doesn't give. And, yeah, you're probably going to see 
a lot of guys, you know, people, we think when we're young, we think in our twenties, we think we're invincible. And, and I remember hearing guys like Bret Hart and Scott Hall joke that, you know, when they got into the hall of fame, somebody was going to have to wheel them out there in, in a wheelchair. And that's not far from the truth with a lot of people, um, people that work that style of high flying and high impact. They, it, the, your body takes a beating and it adds up. It definitely adds up. And then wow. young, you don't care. And we'll talk about that. And I'm sure that Dave's question will lead to that young process. We'll go to the next question, Dave. Yeah, you know, how do wrestlers, but more importantly, how did you know that it was uh, the end of the line was coming and you, and you kind of hit rock bottom? Well, as far as the end of the line with wrestling, before, before I was there for... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 